You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 48 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And what a week it's been in the world of GDPR with announcements this week of the large fines to be imposed on British Airways and on Marriott Hotels. And across in the USA, the news of the very large penalties have been imposed on Facebook for the Cambridge Analytica scandal. So quite a lot to talk about this week. But as always, I'd like to start out with a shout out to our new listeners for this week. And this week we have new listeners in London, Portsmouth, Manchester, Birmingham, Southampton, Cardiff, Reading, Northampton, Durham, Derby, Chelmsford, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Coventry, Ipswich, Bristol, Guildford and Swansea, all in the UK. We also have new listeners in Dublin, in Ireland, in Aquitaine and Paris, in France, in Barcelona, in Spain, in Porto, in Portugal, in oost Vlaanderen in Belgium, in Amsterdam and Rotterdam in the Netherlands, in Frankfurt, Dusseldorf and Berlin in Germany, in Copenhagen in Denmark, in Stockholm in Sweden, in Harzuma in Estonia, in Valais in Switzerland, in Vienna and Corinthia in Austria, in Turin in Italy, Zagreb, Split and Dubrovnik in Croatia, Belgrade in Serbia, Attica in Greece, Istanbul in Turkey, Tel Aviv and Hefa in Israel, Kampala in Uganda, Karnataka and Tamil Nadu in India, Manila in the Philippines, Tokyo and Aichi in Japan, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide in Australia, Brasilia, Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, Asuncion in Paraguay, Zulia in Venezuela, Quebec and British Columbia in Canada, and then in the USA, new listeners this week in San Francisco, New York, Atlanta, Washington DC, Los Angeles, Dallas, Fort Worth, Seattle, Boston, Charlotte, Houston, Columbus, Birmingham, Pittsburgh, Austin, Kalamazoo, Denver, Baltimore, Sierra Villa, St. Louis, Pasco, Greensboro, Rochester, Chicago and Cincinnati. So a really, truly new global audience this week, right around the globe. I really do appreciate all of your new listeners listening to the GDPR Weekly Show and catching up on the latest news in GDPR. And of course, a big shout out to our thousand plus regular listeners who listen every week to me for some 30 to 40 minutes all about GDPR and catching up on the latest news in GDPR and data protection as it affects you. And I'm always grateful to receive your feedback. If you have any feedback, please send it to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. Or check out the podcast page on our website at www.insurety.co.uk. I really do appreciate all your feedback, as I say, and I do read all your feedback. Unfortunately, I don't have time to reply to each one individually, but please be assured I do read them. And I'm always grateful, too, to receive ideas for any articles you'd like to see included in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, or indeed, if you'd like me to interview you or someone else within your industry about how GDPR is affecting them, 
for you, then I'm very open to that. I, I'm lining up new interviewees for the next couple of months at the moment. So if you would like to take part in an interview, then please do let me know. Just send an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk and we can do the rest. And so in a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have a look at the £183 million fine to be imposed on British Airways for the data breach that they suffered a few months ago. And following behind that, we have news that the Marriott Hotel Group is to be fined just under £100 million for the data breach that they suffered. We also then look at quite where do these fines go? Where does this money that's collected, where does it actually go? What's it for? And then following on from that, we look at why given that GDPR is a common rule set across all the countries in the EU, then why is there such a disparity in the actual GDPR penalties? And then we round off this week with the next part of our interview with Mark Wellings from OneTouch.io. And this is part three of the interview. And part four, the final part of the interview, will now be in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Um, we're just having too many news articles to fit in as well as the interviews at the moment. But we're doing our best to provide you as broad a range of stories within the GDPR Weekly Show as we can. And likewise, we're not ignoring the fact that, of course, the other news to break this week has been the large penalty to be imposed on Facebook for the Cambridge Analytica saga. But that's such a big story in itself that we're keeping that story back and we will be running that in next week's edition, episode 49 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And in two weeks' time, we will have episode 50 of the GDPR Weekly Show, which we're looking as being something of a landmark, um, marking as it does a whole year then of us producing this podcast for you. And so we'll be looking back at some of our favourite stories that we've run over the last 12 months. And we'd invite you to submit your favourite stories too. So if you've got a particular favourite that you've heard in the last year's worth of episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, then please do let us know. Drop us an email at podcasts at uk, and we'll do our best to include your favourites in our 50th episode roundup too. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Scarcely had we put last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show to broadcast when the news broke that the ICO had reached its decision on the data breach which struck British Airways a few months ago. And the decision reached by the ICO, I think, caused even those of us who worked in the industry full-time a bit of a sharp intake of breath. We've all been saying in our training for months and months that the maximum penalty available under GDPR is 4% of global turnover. And whilst the new fine at British Airways is only about 2% of their global turnover, it's still 
way, way above anything which we've historically seen, the ICO issue. And so British Airways have been notified by the Information Commissioner the Information Commissioner is intending to record a fine of £183 million to put into context for our friends in the USA. That's around about $240 million. After the hack that took place last September, when British Airways revealed that a sophisticated hack had led to 380,000 customer accounts being compromised. Although, with further research, that figure turned out to be an underestimation the ICO reckoning that probably somewhere closer to half a million accounts were compromised. The hackers got away with details of names, addresses, emails, credit card numbers and expiry dates and in some cases also the security codes on the rear of the cards and it's known that now that this data was stolen over a two-week period beginning on August the 21st. There is though some evidence that the data breach may have begun as early as June 2018. The hackers succeeded by diverting victims to a fraudulent site where all these details were successfully harvested. So in a way it's more of a phishing attack than perhaps a traditional data breach. But nonetheless it is a data breach of course. Information Commissioner Elizabeth Denham commented people's personal data is just that personal. When an organisation fails to protect it from loss, damage or theft, it is more than an inconvenience. That's why the law is clear. When you are entrusted with personal data, you must look after it. Those that don't will face scrutiny from my office. Check they have taken appropriate steps to protect fundamental privacy rights. And in this case, that investigation carried out by the ICO, as we said, has led to a proposed £183.4 million fine. In response, British Airways has said that it was surprised and disappointed at the verdict and intends to use its opportunity to make its case as to why it thinks the penalty is overly harsh. The ICO noted British Airways has cooperated with the ICO investigation and has made improvements to its security arrangements since these events came to light. The company will now have the opportunity to make representations to the ICO as to the proposed finding and sanctions. The ICO, for its part, will then consider any arguments the airline puts forward, as well as any input from other data protection authorities before the penalty itself is actually imposed. So there's scope for the fine to be slightly amended, but I think it's probably fair to say, based on our own soundings, that the amendments, if any, will be slight and most definitely not um, significant. And so I think this is, ironically, when our last few episodes have been uh, covering the first anniversary of the introduction of GDPR and what's happened in that year. And I think it's fair to say that across the industry there's been somewhat frustration that the ICO has not been more robust in the penalties that it's imposed, well, we certainly can't hold that frustration against them anymore because this truly is a, obviously, very substantial penalty. When you consider that previous to this, the largest penalty which the ICO had imposed had been £500,000, then obviously a leap from £500,000 to £183 million is a very big leap indeed. Hopefully, it will mean that those organisations and those companies out there who 
have taken the line perhaps of saying, Pah, GDPR, do you know what? It's just another millennium bug, isn't it? It's just a way for consultants like you to make money out of other people's fears, but it's actually, those fears are totally unfounded, you know? No one's ever going to get fined a serious amount of money. Well, do you know what? Take a deep breath, because... British Airways weren't the only company to have a substantial fine this week, and we'll come on to that in our next article in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. But I think what it does do is show that the ICO truly is serious. This is something companies need to take seriously because the penalties are going to be very large. And I think it's also true to say that companies are waking up to the fact now that because of the size of these penalties, two things are happening. One is, some will find that they don't have GDPR fines covered under their business insurance at all. And even those that do may well find that the level of fines exceeds the maximum claim that they're able to make under their business insurance policy. So if this week's podcast does nothing else, it will probably have you hurrying along to your legal office or along to your accounts office and just checking what's in your business insurance what are you covered for and what aren't you covered for because a lot of business insurance where it comes to gdpr will cover you for the actual costs of providing data to people who make data subject access requests it may even cover you for the cost of employing consultants or specialists when you have a data breach what most won't cover you for is the actual final penalty from the ico so do check that out and uh, just make sure that you have as good insurance in place as you can. And obviously, we would also say that some of the best insurance you can have is making sure that your staff are fully trained on GDPR, on how to implement GDPR, on how GDPR affects your business on a day-to-day basis. It's perhaps no surprise that on the follow-up to these fines this week, um, we have had a substantial increase in the number of inquiries into ourselves for companies looking for our assistance in providing their staff with training in GDPR and if you believe that we can help your organisation with your training we would of course be delighted to have a conversation with you so please do get in touch with us either via email at podcast.insurity.co.uk or by going to our website at www.insurity.co.uk or you can also check out our dedicated training website at www.gdprtrainingcourse.co.uk You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Hot on the heels of the announcement of the £183 million proposed fine for British Airways came the news again from the ICO that they were intending to fine the international hotel group Marriott almost £100 million after hackers stole the records of 339 million guests. Now the Marriott hotel story is one which we featured a number of times on the GDPR Weekly Show, and if you'd like to find the background to that, please do listen back to previous episodes of the GDPR 
we do show which you can find on our website at www.insurety.co.uk that's e-n-s-u-r-e-t-y.co.uk but in summary um, the issue concerned the hacking of guest accounts guest records stored within a system used by Marriott called Starwood we should say that Marriott are very keen to stress that they no longer use the Starwood system and indeed Marriott have taken steps to not only notify potential customers who may have been involved in this data breach but also to enhance their data security. In November last year Marriott International, the parent company of hotel chains including W, Westin, Le Meridian and Sheraton admitted that personal data including credit card details, passport numbers and dates of birth had been stolen in a colossal global hack of guest records. After an investigation, the ICO said the issue appeared to begin when the systems of the Starwood Hotels Group were compromised in 2014. Marriott acquired Starwood in 2016, although the theft of customer information was not discovered until last year, 2018. The ICO said that in its opinion, Marriott had failed to undertake sufficient due diligence when it acquired Starwood and should have done more to make sure that Starwood's IT systems were secure. In a statement, Elizabeth Denham, the Information Commissioner, said the GDPR makes it clear that organisations must be accountable for the personal data they hold. This can include carrying out proper due diligence when making a corporate acquisition and putting in place proper accountability measures to assess not only what personal data has been acquired, but how that data has been protected. In the statement for their part, Marriott International said that they intended to challenge the fine in the amount of £99,200,396. Marriott's international president and CEO, Arne Sorison, said... We are disappointed with this notice of intent from the ICO, which we will contest. Marriott has fully cooperated with the ICO throughout its investigation into the incident, which involved a criminal attack against the Scarwood Guest Reservation Database. We deeply regret this incident happened. We take the privacy and security of guest information very seriously and continue to work hard to meet the standard of excellence that our guests expect from Marriott. And so... In the course of two days here, we've had £183 million for British Airways and now, best part of another £100 million for Marriott. So, put those two together, you come to not far short of £300 million. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We are getting an increasing number of our customers now already contacting us to arrange an audit as now it's coming up to towards a year from when GDPR came in and they want to make sure that they're operating as they should be and we'd like to offer this service out to all of you, all of our listeners. Uh, So if you'd like us to perform an audit on your GDPR uh, operations and make sure that you are recording everything you need to be, that you have all the necessary procedures in place and that you know how to action those procedures, please do get in touch with us via podcasts at insurety.co.uk. 
That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at insurety, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. Please make the subject of your email GDPR audit, and we'll get the relevant person to contact you. Um, We're able to carry out audits either on-site or remotely, and for a pleasantly low cost. Um, I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised with the figure we're able to provide you with for providing the audit. I can't give a global figure here because it does affect, it does depend on how many employees, how many customers, how many records, etc. you have. Um, But please do get in contact with us. It's totally without obligation, but do get in contact with us to arrange an audit because uh, if you do want the audit done around May or June of this year to be annual from when GDPR came in, we are rapidly filling our diaries for that period. So uh, don't delay, do get in touch, do it this week, and we'll be pleased to provide you with a quote. And for the first five of you to contact us to request a a data audit, a data breach audit, I'm pleased to be able to say that we will provide that to you for 50% of our normal fee. But that's only for the first five of you to contact us as a result of this podcast. Check us out on Facebook. So with fines now announced this week, totaling close on £300 million, a question which a number of you have been asking us is, so just where does this money go? Well, the answer at the moment is that the money just goes into the general treasury coffers, um, in the general treasury budget. It's not specifically ring-fenced for the ICO or indeed for anything to do with data protection. However, there are signs on the horizon that that is likely to change. I think now that the ICO is starting to impose some serious financial penalties, but is also more than able to demonstrate that it does not really have the resources that it needs to deal with the number of cases that are being presented to it, then I think there is going to be increasing pressure from the ICO for it to be able to retain more of the fines that it imposes on those who commit GDPR offences. Now, as a practitioner, I have mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, those of you who've heard me speak both on the GDPR Weekly Show and possibly attended some of our training and possibly heard me speak in other media will know that I have long been a believer that the ICO has needed to show that it has teeth. It's needed to show that GDPR isn't an optional extra. It's not a nice to have. It's an essential. And it really is important that, for all of our sakes, that business takes it seriously. And so in that sense, I'm all in favour of the ICO having more resources. And I recognise that a way those resources could be funded is by the ICO retaining more of the fines and penalties that it imposes. However, to play devil's advocate for a moment, the downside of the ICO 
retaining more of the fines and penalties it imposes is that it could act as a incentive for its staff, its inspectorate, to look to impose penalties when in fact education might be the better answer. Although there is an argument to be had, and I've heard it said by some, that the only education some people understand is the education that whacks them in the wallet. And that's certainly a viewpoint. But I think one of the things which sets the ICO in the UK apart from some of its European counterparts is that it has spent a great deal of the last 12 months working on the basis that the best form of dealing with GDPR is actually better education of the business community. Equally though, I can see that there doesn't need to come a time when you draw a line in the sand and say, well, you've had a year now to get your GDPR policies and procedures up to date. So if they're not up to date, frankly, what have you been doing? I don't know what the ideal answer is. I really don't. And I'd love to hear your feedback on that. So if you've any ideas on, is the current method right, do you think, where the ISO doesn't get to retain the money, but the money goes to the Treasury, but then there's no guarantee any of that money heads back into data protection or data protection education or better resources for the ICO itself? Or do you think the opposite is true? And in fact, the ICO should be fully funded by the fines and penalties that it's able to put onto organisations and companies. Let me know what you think, because I, I, I am genuinely interested. And please drop me a line, drop me an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk with which way you think it should go. I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Regular listeners to the GDPR Weekly Show will know that one of the things we have focused on is that while obviously right across Europe now, the rules of GDPR are the same, the fines and penalties are most definitely very different. Until this week, France were streets ahead of the rest of Europe in their fines, having imposed over £500 million worth of fines now. But as you have heard in the first two articles this week, the UK is rapidly catching them up. However, there's still big disparities, and perhaps a good example of that comes this week from Romania. A bank in Romania, UniCreditBank.sa, had a data breach affecting some 390,000 of their customers. And the data meant that um, it meant that documents containing the details of transactions, which are made available online to payment recipients, revealing the personal identification number and address of payers for a situation where the payer performed a transaction from an account opened with another credit institution, so external transactions and cash deposits, and the payer's address for situations where the payer made a transaction from an account opened with UniCredit Bank itself, internal transactions in total for a number of 337,042 customers during the period May the 25th, 2018 to December the 10th, 2018. Now, if we take the number of customers involved here, it's not dissimilar 
to the original number of customers thought to have been involved in the British Airways data breach, which was our lead story this week. However, where the UK ICO has imposed a penalty on British Airways, or is proposing to, of £183 million for a not dissimilar number of customers, and some would argue a similar sort of sensitivity of data, the Romanian ICO has fined Unicredit Bank €130,000, which is a whole level of magnitude different, I'm sure you can all see. Now, of course, different economies have different values. That, of course, has to be taken into account. And obviously a fine has to be affordable. But I think there does need to be some move, I would hope, by European authorities to try and get the level of fines more standardised across the EU and including the UK. Because for, on the one hand, a organisation to be fined £183 million and on another, for another organisation, for not dissimilar offence, for want of a better word, to be fined €130,000, I think in some ways makes a mockery of the whole financial penalty system. And so we will no doubt be coming back to this in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show and hopefully it will be to report that steps are being taken to bring the financial penalties more in line with each other. And now is the interview spot on the GDPR Weekly Show. So coming up next we have part three of my interview with Mark Wellens from OneTouch.io. If you are a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show you have heard parts one and two of this interview over the last two episodes. If you're not a regular listener, then please do go and check back on those two episodes so that you can catch up on the interview to date. And I hope you find this part as entertaining as you have the previous parts. Do bear in mind, actually, during whilst you're listening to this week's uh, part of the interview, that this interview was recorded three weeks ago now. And so before the increases in fines announced by the UK ICO this week. So you may think that uh, some of it has a sense of deja vu or crystal ball gazing, but I can assure you at the time of recording, we didn't know what was going to be announced this week. So I hope you enjoy it. Here comes this week's part of the interview with Mark Wellens. Because I think think GDPR generally is a good thing. It's you know, it's, are there some bits that I think could be done differently? Yes, there are. Um, but overall, I think it does what it set out to achieve. And I think, it, I mean, again, it's one of the things with educating people about it. I, I always say to companies here that, you know, if I came into a company these days, no one, or put it a different way, no one's surprised to go into a company these days to find the company has an accident book. <laughs> and therefore, you shouldn't be really that surprised anymore that they've got a data breach register either. Concur with that, yeah. You, you, you know, and I think it's that mindset, that way of thinking. And equally, I think trying to persuade, I mean, one of the difficulties which I, I must admit I've had is, A, 
I think where your product feels a great hole, and I wish I'd had it for some of my early clients, in terms of actually mapping the data that people have and where it is and how many copies there are of it. And I think to a lot of reasonable size organisations, when they find how many copies there are of it, that probably comes as quite a shock to them. It, it certainly does. What we've, well, you know, we found that when we do these, uh, I'm calling proof of concepts, it, it's not just, you know, you find copies, you find things like that, but they also, uh, we shoot ourselves in the foot. And it's funny to say that because we'll go in somewhere and we'll say, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to find your, your repositories of data. They go, yeah, that, that's great. I need to know our data. Good. We're going to also find uh, where is their personal data within those repositories. Yeah, that's what I want to know. So as we're working away and we're looking at the traffic on the network, all of a sudden the the, the customer, potential customer, anyway, will, will you know they'll, they'll suddenly they'll, they'll freeze up, and you'll think, oh oh no, what's going on? And there's been things like uh, customer leaves a room. We have three of the team leave the room and, you, and you're basically stuck there. And the yeah. guy who's with you is, is not part of the team. And, and he says, yeah, they're just going to have to deal with something. And subsequently, you find out that your product uncovered a data store that wasn't tokenized, that they expect to be. And, and they're, they're running to solve problems they didn't know they had, yeah. which, is, yeah. <laughs> which is great. You know, great for us. You yeah. know, that we found it bad for us because the POC gets delayed and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. But it, it kind of highlights the the uniqueness of, of what we're doing out there. Yeah, uh, it, it certainly does. And I mean, I think uh, drawing on that, not a, a, a different a different situation, but, but in some ways very similar to that, was I, I remember sitting with a, a, a large organization um, probably three months after GDPR came in. And I was explaining to them, you know, the, the various principles under which you can hold data. And the big surprise to them was that um, consent was only one of the reasons and not the overriding reason. You know, you, you can still hold data and work on data without consent if it meets some of the other reasons. Um, they didn't know that. So they'd gone out to their mailing, base, their, their mailing database for consent. <laughs> and... Uh, I still remember sitting in the, in this room, and, I, and as I'm saying this, I'm watching people the other side of the table, and the lady, bless her, who's responsible for marketing in this company, is going whiter and whiter with every sentence that I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and their MD turned to turned to her and said, um, "Well, we don't have that problem, do we?" <laughs> and, and she said, "Well, yes." Yeah, so not well. He said. He said we used to have one hundred and twenty-two thousand people on our mailing list. Yeah. He <laughs> said. So if we've gone out for consent to them, how many have we got now? Yeah. <laughs> None. <laughs> and she said, thirty-four. <laughs> and and he said, what thirty-four thousand? She said, no, thirty-four. <laughs> Oh, nice. And you could have cut the atmosphere in the room with a knife, you know. It was. <laughs> so, so the question is, you know, when you have 122,000 people on your mail list and they all withdraw consent at the same time, how do you handle that, you know, right? Even if you still have a legal right to hold it and you didn't know that, right? Mm. So you're now sitting there going, oh my God, 120,000 people, I got to get rid of them. How, how do you handle that, right? How do you handle it? Because that's essentially uh, DDoS by DSAR. Well, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, I said to them, I, I, you know, I had to make the point to them, I said, unfortunately, you've dug a really deep hole for yourselves, yeah? 
I, I it's a shame. Because this guy just said, well, that's all right. We'll just email them all again and say, now we knew we didn't need your consent, so we didn't carry on emailing you anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I said, <laughs> now you've explicitly asked for consent <laughs> and they haven't given it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You're essentially up a creek without a paddle, yeah? It, oh. it, you know, there, there is just no way out of that hole. That kind of leads to another part of, of the right to be forgotten, right? So yeah. we get we get these 100,000 DSARs, but how does that company know and prove that all records of those individuals are now gone? Right? How are they actually going to do that? And uh, I, think, I think that's a huge challenge also for the ICO. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that is one of the areas where we still have a major problem. Um, I mean, we certainly I know of at least one organisation, a large organisation here in the UK, who have had to resort to still keeping the database records, but just anonymising them. Mm -hmm. Because the problem was, was that if they sought to remove all of those people from their database, other programming that worked against that database just fell over in a heap because suddenly, the, you know, there were cross-references here, there and everywhere and a great matrix of, of, of references that just didn't go anywhere anymore. Wow. And so the only solution they could find was, hey, we'll just anonymize all the data. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... I had to say, I mean, I, mean I, I gave them quite a bit of advice on that, and I, but I had to say to them, look, you know, I've got to be very careful how I get involved with you here because if I was called as an expert witness to say, hand on heart, am I 100% certain that none of those customers could be identified from the data as it is now? My honest answer would have to be no. Because I simply don't know. There are too many unknowns. I, I, I can't physically go through every record to check that actually there's nothing in it which is identifiable. Not simple. Say, I, I can say, you know, my, if you like, on, on the evidence, best probability is that there isn't anything that's identifiable. But how do you prove it? There's, there's another kind of uh, angle to that as well. And, and it's, you know, how do you prove it is, is the key here because when when somebody comes to your organization and says, what do you know about me? How do you know that that's really the person? Yeah. You know, that's asking. Yeah. If they're, if they're a customer, okay, you've got some reference, but, mm. but if they're not a customer, you know, and yeah. you're still obliged to answer that question, how do you, and I think that that's going to be a, a, a large growth area in terms of solutions in the coming, I don't know, 12 months, 16, 18 months. Yeah. It'll be, short, it'll be short lived because those will become part of the overall. Mm. You know, but it's it's a niche market that is is open right now. That uh, it, no it, it certainly is, and, and in fact, in my last podcast that went out on Sunday, I actually covered that a, a little bit on just some ideas on how you could verify those people because it is very important, obviously, because you've got to balance off the two. Because obviously, if someone makes a data if a data subject makes an access request, you have a legal requirement to fulfil that access request. But equally if you supply that access to an access request to the wrong person, you've actually just landed yourself a data breach and quite a serious data breach, potentially, depending on the information that you've released. At so what point do you, do you that, force the issue? Yeah, it, it, is, it is that balancing the two sides of the coin, you know? 
and, and of course that becomes more and more complicated where certainly in the UK and I, I'm guessing it's happening in other countries too but it's certainly happening in the UK the um, how should I put it the, the, the lawyers who for many years spent their time ambulance chasing and then decided that PPI was a better way of earning their living um, and now searching for a new way of earning their living. A new way of earning their living is to do data subject access requests. Um, and, you know, they're actually going out to people and saying, well, make a subject access request. If they don't provide all the information that they have on you within 30 days, well, then you can sue them and you can make some money from it. And hey, if you make some money from it, we make some money from it because, you know, these lawyers are acting no win, no fee. And I think that's a growing scourge, which we still have to come to terms with because there are, you, you know, let's face it, we're, we're, <laughs> there are always people who, if you say to them, hey, you know what, just by filling in this form, potentially yep. you could make a few grand, then people are going to fill in the form. And that is, is exactly the reason why, you know, in California specifically, mm. That's why people are, are scared and they're looking to, to solve the, the problem rather than you know, any other way. We have a problem. We understand it. Again, oh, a thousand people ask for, a, for this information. I've only got two staff. How, yeah. How, how, yeah, yeah. How, so there, there's that side, which is why they do look for something like what mm. we provide or others provide. And, it, it's, not, uh, <laughs> and it's not just the lawyers. It's, uh, you know, it's today's... Um, I'm going to say it, we we kind of brought it on ourselves, and I don't I don't mean don't mean that nastily. But when I'm offered a free something ten years ago for my email address, I didn't really think much about it, you know, mm. free check, free whatever. Yeah. And so we've kind of brought it on ourselves at this point. But we all understand now that maybe wasn't the, the smartest way to work. Mm. But if if you ask the can I use the word millennial? Can you if you ask the the younger generation, let's say. Uh, you know, what's your email address? They'll give you one of like 50 email addresses because yeah. they wired up to yeah. that ages ago. So, oh, okay. So there's, <laughs> there's that. That's an issue, obviously. Um, but <laughs> when, when, you know, what do you know about me? Oh, well, you missed the other 49 email addresses I have. What? Okay. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and that, that, again, I think is, is where solutions such as yours are so, are so valuable, if you like, because at least you're, at the very least, you're at least pointing the, the, the organization who the request is being made to of all the places they might need to look for, for that information. So once again, many thanks to Mark Wellin from OneTouch.io for taking part in the series of interviews. And if you're involved in the world of GDPR, whether as a supplier, a consultant, or indeed an end user trying to implement GDPR, and you'd like to be interviewed on the GDPR Weekly Show, then please do just drop me an email at podcast.insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and uh, I'd be delighted to set up an interview with you. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. 
Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurety.